The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome this Tuesday morning in your headlines this hour. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden's nominee for Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is set to tell lawmakers today the country is headed for a major recession unless they, quote, act big. Biden's transition team defies the current commander-in-chief, saying they won't lift travel restrictions on those coming from the EU and Brazil less than an hour after President Trump orders the move to take place once he leaves office. Turning sour, Danone reportedly comes under activist scrutiny with Bluebell Capital calling for changes at the top of the world's largest yogurt maker. Logitech ups its outlook after posting a near 200% jump in operating income for the third quarter as the work-from-home trend boosts the Swiss-American computer accessory maker. And time to turn the page. The Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conti says now is not the time to play politics as he rallies support in the Senate ahead of a key confidence vote today, this after winning a majority in the lower house. So let's get into our headline story this morning, and it all revolves around the Federal Reserve and uh, the Treasury and ultimately what comes next here. President-elect Joe Biden's nominee for Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will call on lawmakers to support a fresh round of spending measures to help boost the U.S. recovery. In her statement at a Senate confirmation hearing today, Yellen is said to urge lawmakers to act big on Biden's new $1.9 trillion relief package, despite concerns over the impact on America's debt load. Biden's team has announced it will nominate two former Obama administration officials to lead top financial agencies. Gary Gensler is tapped to head the SEC, while Rohit Chopra has been chosen to run the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, Republicans hit out at both choices, saying they show Joe Biden plans to slap unnecessary regulations on Wall Street. Meanwhile, some of America's largest banks are due to report earnings this week. Bank of America and Goldman Sachs will post results today, followed by BNY Mellon and Morgan Stanley on Wednesday. Bill Smead is the CIO of Smead Capital Management and joins us this morning. Bill, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Let me just start off by asking, um, give us a helicopter view. What do you think we're going to learn in the round from the banks that have yet to report? Well, we're owners of Bank America, and we think that Bank America is kind of on the doorstep of what they'd really like to do, which is be a very successful bank to an American economy that is uh, thriving because of all the things that people are going to want to do that they haven't been able to do while we fight this war against the, the virus. So this report will just show, hey, we've made a lot of money in the investment markets, but what we'd really like to have happen hasn't happened yet which is for people to go back to having 
more more normal economic freedom and using all that pent up demand and incredibly high savings rate to uh, to be active and create the velocity of money to go higher. Bill, we we um, opened the program talking about Janet Yellen um, saying the only way, way we can avoid the impact of the recession is by going big on a 1.9 trillion stimulus here. Um, how do we square the circle here for Americans on Main Street? They'll hear what Janet Yellen has to say. They'll know that their own pocketbooks may be hurting. And yet here we are talking about banks potentially raising dividends and increasing share buybacks. Does that jar somewhat? Well, they they were pretty much forced to do massive reserve building. And the, the reserve building wasn't needed because they were the best capitalized in the history probably of the United States banking industry. And, and so they're just literally, there's mountains and mountains of capital that has no use and doesn't earn very good interest rates. So how could you blame them for trying to get back to a more normalized capitalization? But that capitalization will get put to use when we get vaccinated and we get uh, herd immunity established and and people... You know, I, I talk to lots of people who they, they want to invest as if we're going to stay imprisoned in the virus prison for years and years. And they're underestimating the pent up demand to do things that people want to do. They, I, I just I don't think I don't think people really can wrap their minds around what kind of economy we might have. And we'll have the opposite problem. The banks will benefit at some point in time from inflation coming back because the borrowing rates will rise much faster than the deposit rates will. Bill, can we talk about some of the short-term catalysts for the market then? Because as we wrapped up the weekend, uh, heading into the long weekend, we saw Wall Street fading, losing ground over the course of, of the week. There seems to be a tug of war between concern around the rollout of the vaccine and uh, just some of that stimulus fade as investors have moved very aggressively already on the amount of money being poured into the economy. What do you make of the different features now as we also set up for what could be a tricky backdrop with the inauguration this week? Yeah, it, it's just so interesting. Uh, you know, there's an urge on the part of policymakers to doubt the ability of the free market to do its thing. And, and, and the we're in that stage right now where we're a few months away from seeing the, the full effect of widespread vaccination, right? We're just in, we're, we've scraped the surface in vaccination but it's picking up speed in the United States as we speak. And, and, and so when, when you get two or three, four months down the road and there's widespread vaccination of the at-risk population in the United States, uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to see quite a difference. And what that will mean is there will be normalization of interest rates at some point in time. And you should see price earnings ratios compact and then you should see investors lose excitement about momentum trades that were based on being uh, having our freedoms uh, restricted. And, and so it's such a fascinating point in time. There appears to be a bubble in, in many of the very high price to sales ratio securities and, and the S&P 500 is completely twisted up in that game. And then secondarily, we go through these bouts of of uh, economic despair 
as if we're, you know, people are not going to want to, to, to participate and do things that they, they do when they're free to trade. So, Bill, what does that mean for the reflation trade? Because we also saw that U.S. 10-year yield drift off the highs of 1.18 back to 1.1. Uh, what do you think is left in this reflation trade if you think that investors should be a little bit more bullish? Yeah, the, the, it's so ironic. I, if, I can remember being with you folks seven, eight, nine years ago and being as bearish on energy as you could just about be because we felt that uh, the confidence in emerging markets and the confidence in the in the way that China was affecting commodities would fade, and, and it did. Now we're exactly the opposite. You've got everyone running around the world going, oh, we've got to go green. We've got to have clean energy. We've got to be ESG as investors. We've got to do all these incredibly virtuous things to, to save the earth. And what that does, it's going to restrict the creation of new sources of oil and gas right at the time that we go back to having our freedom and all of a sudden everybody that couldn't get out and drive and everybody couldn't get out and fly so want to get out and drive and get out and fly and and, and so the, the 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 beauty is that uh we we, we own uh three oil stocks uh chevron conoco phillips and continental resources and I, I would be willing to bet that that will be the best performing sector of the S&P. And it's darn near the, the smallest sector with, what, 2.6%. So hardly anybody that owns the index can make any money from, from uh, oil doing really well in the reflation trade. Yay, Bill. Everything's awesome. It sounds amazing. If it wasn't such a cold, wet Tuesday morning here in Sussex, I'd be even more excited. I'd get the bunting out. But the fact remains, if you're right, and I hope you are, Bill, and we've had some great debates over the years, well, I hope you're right about everything you've just said. That means the Federal Reserve and all the other central banks in the world, they don't need to buy anything else anymore, do they? In fact, they can take away some of that stimulus. What does that mean? Well... They won't take away the stimulus until the cat is already out of the bag. Remember, uh, you've got three or four different subjects to deal with. You've got one of the biggest investment bubbles in recorded history uh, that, that was a combination of free money, uh, unlimited backing from the government, and a mania that was already going on before COVID hit that just got exacerbated by the way that People were trapped in their homes and had to use way more technology than they'd ever used in their lives. And, and then secondarily, you've got this massive amount of government borrowing and massive amount of, of uh, uh, Federal Reserve and other uh, uh, bank boards flooding the system with. And now in the United States, you've got 90 million millennials going to form households and spread themselves all over the country. And the, the chances of us not having a serious inflation event the next five or six years, I think is very low. And, and you're right, that is not going to be hunky-dory for the S&P 500. It's not going to be hunky-dory for most investors. But if you own real property or you own real barrels of oil and proven reserves in the ground, you're going to be on the winning side of that trade. 
I love you saying the word hunky-dory. In fact, you said it twice. It's, it's a great word. I'll say it again. Hunky-dory. But, but, but if, if you're right and the central banks are late and we're going to see a burst of inflation, what are the credit implications further down the line as well? Because if, if that credit is taken away from a lot of these more speculative investment out there uh, and you see, do see this real asset versus speculation bubble, what does that mean for markets? Because they are based primarily on the latter, aren't they? The speculation bubbles rather than the real assets. Well, we should be in really good shape in the United States because uh, uh, the the new president is hiring a whole bunch of regulators that just love to run around and point fingers at at, at, at things that went wrong way after the fact. Yeah. Bill, fantastic. Always a pleasure speaking to you, sir. I really enjoy the conversation. If nothing else, using the word hunky-dory, it should be used more in business news, I believe. Uh, Bill Smead, CIO of Smead Capital Management. Well, let's get back to the United States because there's one or two events happening this week, in case you haven't noticed, including the fact that President-elect Joe Biden will now not lift a ban on non-citizens entering the US from Europe and Brazil. Now, this comes after the president for a day or so, Mr. Trump ordered the end to the restrictions starting January 26th. That's after he's left office, of course. Uh, in a tweet, the incoming White House press secretary, uh, Jen Psaki, uh, said the Biden administration plans to impose tougher travel restrictions due to the global spread of new COVID variants. Well, final preparations are underway for what will be a high security Biden inauguration. I mean, just reading some of the stories, quite extraordinary. Troops being deployed to Washington to provide extra security during the ceremony. Alice Barr from NBC has the latest. Tonight on the National Mall, 56 pillars of light for all the states and territories casting a glow on 200,000 American flags, representing everyone who could not travel to President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration amid a pandemic and unprecedented security concerns. We're not taking any chances. This is three times the number of guardsmen we would normally have in support of the United States Secret Service. Another major difference, for the first time in more than 150 years, the outgoing president will not attend his successors swearing in. President Trump now planning to leave Washington with a red carpet send-off ceremony on inauguration morning. Moving trucks already seen arriving at Mar-a-Lago in Florida, the president's post-White House home. President Trump remaining out of sight again today, reportedly strategizing his defense for a second impeachment trial and weighing potentially dozens of pardons. Sources telling NBC News that for now, the president is not expected to pardon himself or his family members. Meanwhile, President-elect Biden spending this Martin Luther King Day of service, loading food boxes in Philadelphia while looking ahead to his top priorities. Biden promising a series of executive actions and proposing a nearly $2 trillion emergency COVID relief package. The incoming Biden administration is hoping that Congress will place the new president's urgent agenda on a parallel fast track with the impeachment of the former president. From the White House, Alice Barr, NBC News. Well, still to come on the program this morning, Danone of France reportedly under pressure to make changes at the top. We'll talk some more about that in just a moment. Uh, plus the podcast, not only has it got the words hunky-dory in it today, but we're also going to find out about Janet Yellen and what she will focus on if she is confirmed as the next Treasury Secretary. Check out the Squawk Box podcast.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Let's take a look at some of the big stock market action we're witnessing in trade today in, a, in the Asian markets. Hong Kong worth zeroing in on. We've seen a, a strong gain there, more than 600 points to the upside as Chinese investors pour into the local market to the link-ups with Shanghai and Shenzhen bolstering uh, appetite for Hong Kong stocks. A uh, feature of the markets today. Uh, some big property developer stocks uh, certainly in the green. Elsewhere, Japanese stocks resuming their upward momentum as well. A bit of a stall speed we've seen in recent sessions, but 1.4% higher on nearly 4 400 odd points at this stage. Bit of a breather for Chinese stocks, though. Uh, you can see fading by almost 1%. Australia also bouncing. And there have been some concerns about COVID outbreaks in Queensland, but a little bit of optimism coming back into the mix. And that's bolstering the ASX in Australia at this stage. US futures, as we count you down to the US session, don't forget uh, the market was shut yesterday, but uh, we saw as we wrapped up the Friday session uh, a weaker trade. So we're looking for a little bit more green, uh, a bit more momentum as the market resumes today. And clearly a big focus on Janet Yellen's hearing as uh, the nominee for U.S. Treasury Secretary. Act big has been the message and uh, that may be what's bolstering some of the sentiment on Wall Street early on. The European market, uh, let's just take a quick look at uh, what we saw yesterday. We were a little bit weaker on the FTSE, continuing some of the red ink we've witnessed uh, on the U.K. stock market of late, uh, but uh, slightly positive, as you can see, across some of the other major markets. The DAX, uh, one of the better performers of the core, up four-tenths of a percent, and Italian stocks. And we keep pointing out, we haven't seen any fading in enthusiasm uh, that stands out on Italian stock markets around the political story. And you can see it actually outpaced the rest of the markets in trade yesterday, Steve. Yeah, Karen, I have many questions in these reads that are coming up, which is great, including when Tyson sells everything, what have they got left? Uh, I'll, I'll go with the story. Uh, shares in ThyssenKrupp closed higher following reports that the group was considering, yes, a spin-off of its steel business. This comes after the UK's Liberty Steel offered to buy the division, which posted an operating loss just a mere near €1 billion Euros in the last fiscal year. The German conglomerate, well, not so much of a conglomerate anymore, but yes, uh, says it is also weighing whether to develop the division as a standalone unit. Elsewhere, HSBC plans to resume dividend payments as soon as possible. This according to the chairman, Mark Tucker. Uh, his comments come after the Bank of England lifted a ban on dividends and share buybacks for the UK's biggest lenders last month. Uh, Hong Kong listed shares in HSBC trading higher on the statement. And for some reason, this next read got me thinking of Jeff again, just like Dr. Martin's last week made me think of Jeff, uh, perhaps in the 70s and 80s. Now, uh, this Birkenstock read has got me thinking about him now on the beach. Uh, Birkenstock is reportedly in talks with CBC Capital over a takeover deal. The FT is reporting the German shoe brand known for its iconic sandals is in advanced negotiations. The deal could value Birkenstock at nearly $5 billion and would end a month's long search for a buyer. So, Jeff, put us all out of our misery. Do you own a pair? No, I don't. Uh, but I do. I think I did own Hunky Dory, which uh, actually was much more up my street. But then Bowie made some great albums back in the 70s, didn't he? Was it a song? Oh, it was an album. David Bowie, I must be like 70, 71, something like that. Hunky Dory. But, uh, it vaguely no, rings a bell, I, but not It's just like tumbleweed, tumbleweed. You know, while, while you were listening to 
I don't know what 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 was it? Some some kind of poppy thing, was it? What in the early eighties? Oh, a bit of Kajagoogoo, bit of Go West, you know, some really high quality stuff. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. Rio Tinto says industrial activity in China has returned to pre-pandemic levels as the miner posted a 2.4% rise in iron ore shipments for the fourth quarter. Uh, Rio said it's counting on China and other big economies to restart major construction projects that were put on hold during the pandemic, adding it's also seeing demand rebound in other major Asian and European markets. Uh, Logitech has raised its full-year guidance for a third time after third quarter sales came in at $1.7 billion, up 85%. The Swiss hardware producer, well, computer peripherals, we used to say, uh, says remote working continues to drive demand for things like uh, mouses. Do you say mouses or mice? Mice. Do you say mice, even if it's just a computer mice? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Okay. Uh, And video conferencing devices. Uh, Logitech now expects full-year sales growth to rise around 60%. Activist investor Bluebell Capital is reportedly calling for a change of the leadership of French yogurt maker Danone, citing the group's disappointing share price performance. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, uh, there is a point when you look at the disparity in the performance between the the likes of Nestle, Unilever, the rivals to Danone. But uh, just talk us through this uh, and what the activists are calling for. Yeah, that's right, Karen. Well, Danon has been under pressure for a little while now. Shares were down 30% just last year, and they hit a six-year low. And, and in fact, when you compare it to some of their largest competitors, there's a real difference there. And look, Danon has been uh, has seen uh, lots of steam, a lot of their main brands recently. That was before the COVID crisis already, in particular, so so slow growth in a lot of their European dairy in their European dairy division. Um, and the COVID crisis has kind of made things a bit more difficult, in particular, hitting the high margin segment of their water division, you know, Avion and Volvic, uh, belong to Danone, and that's been hit, of course, by people working from home, restaurants being closed, uh, the sales in that division were down 17% in the first nine months of 2020. So I've been making things more difficult for Danone. They announced uh, just in October an overall of their uh, management structure. Uh, they want to focus on regions rather than product category. The CFO uh, is leaving in February to head a new strategy committee. They're reviewing their portfolio they have 121 brands and so they're reviewing some of them they're, they're looking at potentially selling some of their underperforming businesses and they're cutting also jobs uh, 2,000 jobs as 2% of their workforce so they're putting things in place to try to tackle some of the problems that they had again from before the COVID crisis here, some of the slow growth that they've seen. Um, but the, here, they will see that management will be put under extra pressure. And this report that first came out yesterday in uh, the, the news outlet challenge of this Bluebell um, that, put, uh, that would have bought a, a, an undisclosed stake in Danone at the end of 2020 and sent a letter to management, in particular asking to split the role of CEO and chairman that at the moment is being held by Emmanuel Faber that has been held uh, since uh, 2017. Um, being put under the pressure to split it. Also putting a question on the white wave acquisition. You remember this huge acquisition that Danone made in the US in 2016 for 12.5 billion where he blew bell according to a letter that's been seen by the Financial Times. It's said that the, this acquisition didn't create the synergies and the growth uh, that would justify such a heavy investment. Uh, so here there's a question of how much pressure this will put on management. Of course, while management uh, is going through these restructuring plans and all 
this reshuffle of brands and management, uh, that we be under bigger pressure here, uh, given these reports of uh, an activist investor having their eyes on them, guys. Uh, Charlotte, we'll wrap it up at that. Thank you very much indeed for that. I just had a look. Um, the PepsiCo, you remember the PepsiCo run at uh, Danone? Right, yes. When do you think it was? Gosh, years ago, 10 years ago? 2005. <laughs> what happened to all the years? Time passes us by, doesn't My it? My God, it just feels like yesterday. And that, I mean, it's fascinating that Danone now is... Uh, is in the situation it's in because we've been having that conversation about whether the protectionist uh, nature of the French state is good for businesses or bad for businesses. You sort of think it's doing everything right. I mean, it's in the Chinese market, it's tapped the US and all mm. of these new trends around, let's say, soy milk, garment milk, that sort of thing. Yeah. It should have been a positive for the company, so it's hard to see what's gone wrong. Yeah, I mean, those are products that even Steve drinks exactly these days. Right. <laughs> There's a limit to what I drink these days. Look, I just think I think it's really fantastic uh, looking at this story again. We did it, by the way, before Christmas when the numbers were appalling, and we talked about the disparity in the valuation of Danone and what they've done wrong compared to virtually every one of their peers who cannot sell enough products at the moment. The likes of Unilever, the likes of Procter and Gamble, uh, the likes of Nestle, who are a similar peer group but trading uh, a huge, huge uh, PE uh, uh, superlatives compared with Danone. But I think there's another issue here as well, and that is the fact that this CEO, uh, Emmanuel Faber, has made a play, and this sounds very familiar to any of you who knows the previous CEO of Unilever, who's made a play, uh, this CEO, of talking about the ESG credentials at this company and saying, this is one of our driving mantras. Well, well, it may well be, and it may well be the right thing to do in the medium to longer term, but is that at the expense of financial metrics as well? And I think this goes right to the heart of a lot of things, funnily enough, that, that Bill Smead was talking about earlier on as well, is what do we want out there? Do we want ESG compliant investment or do we want profits? And the answer is, of course, we want both. It depends who you are. The activists, dare I say, have less interest in ESG, whereas actually there are a whole cohort of new investors who want the ESG side of things as well. So I think this is a great uh, battle that's going to go on for years in many, many countries companies going forward. Yeah, we've been talking so much about the, the mission for these companies to pursue ESG, but it's funny, isn't it, that tone from the activists, as soon as they start looking at the bottom line, they, they want those profits to be higher. I thought it was a sort of tentative support for sustainability from Bluebell, that it just hasn't been striking the right balance between sustainability and profitability. Um, I think that's interesting. I mean, it's very hard for an activist to say they don't support green measures at this point because it's been a sea change in, in sentiment mentality. I think yeah, most people are on board around these green initiatives. It's very hard to say that you don't support it these days. But uh, I wonder whether the next shareholder meeting sees any pullback around sustainability because of this challenge from the activists. Well, it's a topic that's going to be with us for a long time here and working out just whether it's a profitable strategy as implemented by management teams. Again, will be another one of those big conversations, I think, for us uh, over the next decades. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.